0: That was fun. I like doing that. Hey, everybody. Mark D. IT guy here. Uh, Hey, everybody. Mark D. IT guy, dad, and generally bad movie nerd here. This episode, I'm watching a movie for the first time. I knew that there was a movie and I knew that there was a TV show based on the fact that the I only knew of them based on the fact that the, the band I follow, Explosions in the Sky, did the music. However, I'd never actually seen either. Well, you know, I have the DVD, right? This DVD came over with my wife's other DVDs when we got married, so I went ahead and I watched it. I'd heard so much about it that I just decided that I was going to watch it as if I as as I was cleaning up some jewel cases and going through, you know, the big case, the the flight case, the box, whatever it is. I'll I'll take a picture of it and throw it in the show notes. Uh by the way, if you don't see images or links in the show notes, you can check them out at scumbags.com. And that is with two M's. And it's a reference to, it's a reference to the script creation utility for Maniac Mansion. Because fun fact, it was originally going to be gaming content focused on adventure games, but everybody got busy. And now it's my place to talk bullshit about movies or music until maybe one day we circle back on that. Although, to be fair, Adventure Games are back on the come-up, and there are plenty of other people that do it much better than I do. Anyway, this movie is Friday Night Lights, a 2004 Peter Berg effort that, for an elevator closing its doors pitch, would be, It's Any Given Sunday meets Varsity Blues, but they were both watching, dazed and confused. Now that seems a little disingenuous, as Friday Night Lights is based on the book, Friday Night Lights, A Town, A Team, and A Dream by Buzz Bissinger, who is Peter Berg's cousin. This book is a non-fiction accounting of the actual Permian Panthers football team in the 1988 season, so, while the movie does take some liberties, it is very much based on a true story. Perhaps Varsity Blues took a lot more influence from the book Friday Night Lights, which came out in 1990, than it may admit. However, in, in being an MTV production, it went way harder in the paint on certain aspects of the movie, And has the main character blatantly state, I don't want your laugh. Which is basically the thesis of both movies and Randall Pink Floyd's arc in Dazed and Confused. I've mentioned a lot of other movies already that you could watch as homework. But really you should watch Dazed and Confused. I'm pretty sure I bought Dazed and Confused at some point. So it may come up, but it's a a great little movie that is also set in Texas and is also about 17-year-old kids, but it is very different. Either way, I'll give you the summary of the movie Friday Night Lights. There's a player on the team named Don Billingsley, for a little bit of background, and his dad is a fairly abusive, narcissistic alcoholic who is constantly observing, judging, and correcting his son in the most toxic ways possible. It's uh, a pretty bad relationship, and it gets pretty tense and tense at some parts, but uh, Don manages to keep his cool and in perhaps an, a sacker in a moment that was unique to the movie because it only had the span of the movie to illustrate it to us he makes his dad proud after we get the movie defining speech from Coach Gaines this is a micro view of the macro relationship that the town of Odessa has with the Permian Panthers football team they've won states before and losing isn't good enough The town is praising or threatening the players and the coaches, but the town is always present, stalking and attempting to control them, even when it comes to the privacy of their own homes. The movie asks, how can you depend on a team of 17-year-olds to satisfy your need for glory days? And I think that the question ends up being answered by an interesting character that wouldn't have been the obvious choice. But let's roll the trailer. Gentlemen, the hopes and dreams of an entire town are riding on your shoulders. You may never matter more than you do right now. It's time. Now, if you want to win state, you're gonna to have to beat a team of giants, a team of monsters over in Dallas that outweigh you about 30 pounds a man. This is real sincere warfare. We're in the business of winning. Should we believe the hype? What hype? The hype about Booby Miles. Nah, hype is something that's not for real. I'm all real. What's it like being the quarterback? I mean, this is a big responsibility for a 17-year-old kid. Do you think you can handle it? No, that is not acceptable. Hope so. Huh? Your dad played at Permian. What's it like to be the son of a local legend? Tell me why you can't hold onto the ball. Maybe this is hell. Hold on to football. Next question with a ball carrier. Give me mean, just one touchdown, just one. Hey, 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 son, come here, come here. Where are you going? You you want me to go in, Coach? You don't want a helmet? My goodness gracious. The Let the age begin. Do you want to play college ball? Do you want to get out of this town? I think so. Well, why aren't you doing something about it? We gotta lighten up. We're 17. You think it's just a game? I think you're scared just like the rest of us. I've seen you fight. I've seen you not quit. Can you give me a great effort and just a little bit more? Can we be perfect? So let's take care of it! One day, when you look back at this time, I dare you to beat it. I dare you. So let's do it by the numbers. Let's uh, let's take Friday Night Lights by the numbers. Released October 8th, 2004. I said almost October 28th. By 2008. Fucking I... Released October 8th, 2004. 118 minutes, 30 million budget estimated. Every movie seems to be up about 30 million lately. That's what it feels like. 20 million opening weekend. Nice. Hey, Nice. 61 million USA. Pretty good. Did not do well outside of the US. Probably limited release because it's a high school football movie and I don't know that that makes a lick of sense to fucking anybody in another country. Like, I've grown up watching football and Playing pickup football games and things like that, and I roughly know how the game is played. I'm not going to say that I'm a fucking Pat Summerall over here. Uh, you weren't expecting that. You were expecting John Madden, but I threw you the curveball. But I understand the rules. I understand the concepts and, and so on and so forth, even though some of the fucking rules make zero sense. It's Okay. That's the numbers. I mean, that's that's the numbers. Really, for the, for the movie, I, 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 I what what is it on Metacritic? I don't fucking know, but generally well received. Okay, generally well received. Spun off a an inspired by TV show, which Connie Britton, the wife of Coach Gaines, oh fuck me, which Connie Britton, the wife of Coach Gaines, plays the wife of uh, Mustache Dad's um, character, whose his character's name I don't know and Kyle Chandler is the actor's name. I forget why I call him Mustache Dad. I think it was from a Rift Trax, if memory serves. But yeah, this is an interesting movie. So the way that this movie came about is that it had been... It had been trying to be made for a little bit. Let's rewind a little bit. It's based on a true story, the 1988 Permian Panthers, if I haven't mentioned that. I may not have. And, um... Pardon me, I need to sneeze. Oh, disgusting. So, nineteen ninety eight season for the Permian Panthers. I still need to sneeze. Fuck my life. I'm going to try to... Oh, no, I can't power through. It's too strong. It's too strong. Oh, God. Power, power, power. Come on. Okay, 1988 season, Permian Panthers in Odessa, Texas. True story, based on a true story, right? They write the book. They being Buzz fucking by Buzz H.G. Bissinger, right? Buzz Bissinger, kind of journalist, author, kind of guy, Vanity Fair writer, and there was apparently a a documentary about him that's cool. I guess I don't really know much about him, but he um, he wrote a book on this. I uh, I don't want to use the word apocalyptic, but definitely noteworthy season. This drama of the Permian Panthers in their nineteen eighty eight season, and uh, it's definitely known as one of the best football sports books in general. One of the best sports stories, you know, for football, there's things like remember the Titans and we are Marshall and all that. But I still think that number one, all the way at the top of football, probably because it's not that much about football is Rudy. And I cry every time in Rudy. That's just me. That's it's a guy thing. I think it's a generic guy thing. When they implemented class dude, the dude class all the subclasses inherited the function cry watching rudy so that's just how it is it's nothing personal if you cry at rudy i cry at rudy cry watching rudy because whatever his cousin (laughs) just so happens that my cousin is peter berg the uh actor director writer producer and um Peterberg picked it up. Peterberg's a really interesting has a has a pretty interesting career. He was writer director on Very Bad Things, which was a very interesting movie, a very dark comedy. Also with Cameron Diaz, if if I remember correctly, I think Cameron Diaz was in uh, Any Given Sunday, it, which I think I mentioned. I don't know. So the secret here, the secret is that I'm recording this part. Well, after I recorded the introduction that I used, because I think I liked that one better than the one that I just ruined. So, shh, don't tell anybody, but I fucked up, so I'm just trying to pretend like it's all good, and I'm putting you in on the secret, I'm taking you in, I'm trusting you with this information, so a little bit of ASMR for you, but it might be an issue, I don't know yet, if it is, ignore it. Just go with it. Just shh. If it was smooth, just pretend it was smooth. Okay, cool. Now that we're back. So also wrote Lone Survivor, which was, I think, a Mark Wahlberg movie where he was the Lone Survivor. And uh, he was the director of The Rundown, Sean William Scott and The Rock. That was a fun movie. I like that movie. He also directed The Kingdom, which had uh, Jamie Foxx, Jason Bateman, and uh, Jennifer Garner, if I, if I remember correctly. And, and maybe somebody else. I don't fucking know. That was a, that was a cool movie too. He's produced a bunch of things. He wrote The Losers, which The Losers was a really fun uh, screenplay. It had um, man, the the guy that, that's on Walking Dead now. That was a comedian in the the Watchmen movie. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I think, is his name, and uh, Zoe Saldana and Chris Evans. Chris Evans as a nerd. That was fun. It's the most jacked fucking nerd ever. But he was a co writer. Uh, he was a co-writer with David Aaron Cohen on Friday Night Lights 2004s Friday Night Lights and he was an actor he was an actor too I'm sorry he was he was an actor in Chicago Hope for a bit he was an actor in Copland which is the Sylvester Stallone movie the the <laughs> the the Sly Sylvester movie that's a a Dungeons and Daddies thing and I I laughed because I oh, I just remembered them riffing on that bit of of Sly Sylvester and it was incredibly funny. I do not believe how funny that was. But uh, he was in Copland and he was in Fire in the Sky. Maybe he was one of the dudes that got taken by the Fire in the Sky. Uh, fire in the Sky being an alien movie. So, whatever. Anyway, Peter Burke, big career, you know. Producer on a lot of things. Definitely working, doing things. He adapted him and David Aaron Cohen. They adapted the book, right? So, the book. Is kind of a a journalistic, factual, documentarian take on it. The movie takes some liberties. The movie also has 118 minutes or whatever the fuck I just said. To present that, it's a little different. So we get that. We've talked about adaptations in Scott Pilgrim. Oh, that bourbon. Make Make you sound real smooth. That's good because there will be some CZ top in here <laughs> that I will try and fail. You know, there, there's some liberties that are taken. They're not egregious, I don't think. Uh, I'm certain that if I was a resident of Odessa, if I was an attendee of Permian High School, if I was one of the the, the, the people on the team who are real people, maybe I'd feel a little differently. Just putting myself in their shoes. However... It feels fine from my uh, uninvolved, no skin in the game point of view. I don't know shit about shit. I saw the movie. I understand the movie is different. But it's okay. It doesn't change my life any. If you really want to know exactly what's different, I believe that the Wikipedia page for the movie has every fucking detail that you could ever want. Go for it. Have fun. But it shouldn't change your opinion of the movie. The idea, the premise, the thesis, the theme, the ups and the downs, they are very, very similar to the real-life events. The The people are similar. They are... They, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of casting that happened in this movie that was very good. And there's more on that later. Just know that going forward, right? And spoilers, a 1,000% spoilers. This is a fucking 1988 football season. You can fucking look it up, too. It's been 30 years or whatever the fuck. So, Peterberg again, with Tobias A. Schließler. I, I can't say his name, so I'm going to go with Schließler, who was the director of photography on, on Born to Run, of fucking all movies. I've talked about Born to, Mun, Born to Mun. Born to Run with Richard Grieco before. I have that VHS somewhere. I need to fucking find it. If not, I will God damn it, buy another one, but the movie is on YouTube. And if there's a real DVD copy, I will just get that instead. But however, Born to Run is a really, really good, not good movie. And in terms of really, really good, not good movies, there will be one next episode. I had a plan for what I was going to talk about, and I threw it in the fucking garbage. Because I came across a situation where I was reminded of a really, really good, not good movie. So we're doing that instead. But Tobias A. Schließler, DP on the rundown, already working with Peter Berg, Dreamgirls, obviously Friday Night Lights, and the taking of Pelham 123 with Tony Scott. And this makes a lot of sense. So if you go all the way back, all the way back, and I drink your milkshake, if you go all the way back to the first season of this podcast, Mark's Movie Collection, there's an episode, there's a Tony Scott movie, there's an episode called Spiking. I point out that the camera is always moving, and he does these weird crash like crash cross cuts of a helicopter circle panning a circular rooftop, and it's it's, it's a conversation. It's like a fucking hundred thousand dollar conversation shot, and it's kind of excessive. I mean, it's the emotional tone being expressed through the camera because they're far away. Because they're spies and things like that, but the camera's just fucking moving in the craziest ways. In this movie, I want to talk about what 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 happens a little bit, and I think I'm, I'm preempting it a little bit. Let me talk about the editors, but you know, we can talk about about Tobias having these uh, this yellow, desaturated because West Texas almost dying thing and. You know it's kind of presented in establishing shots, even though it's not explicit that perhaps this town was affected by the energy crisis of the seventies or whatever the case may be oil being a, definitely an, an important um product and I don't know much about the energy crisis except fucking it was shitty to get gas that was it, but there's a bunch of oil fucking derricks in this movie the The town looks like shit every time they show it. I'm sure it's a bit nicer than that. You know, Odessa's a pretty decently large metropolitan area of 100,000 people. However, I've been to a metropolitan area of 200,000 people, and it still felt like a fucking small town to me who lives in an urban sprawl of millions of people. So, take that as you will. There are four editors on this movie. There's Colby Parker, Jr., David Rosenblum, Susan Rash, and uh, Gabrielle Fasulo. So Gabrielle Fasulo already kind of listed as a documentary editor. I can only assume that that's for the extras because there are some documentary type extras about the football players who are the stunt folks, the stunt performers, the football performers. And, um, her other credits imply that yes, this is for the extra features. Cause some things are called out as specifically being for the extra features. So for Colby Parker Jr., Friday Night Lights was one of his first credits. Uh, I, I think it's he. I believe. So Colby Parker went on to do The Kingdom and Hancock. I mentioned I didn't mention Hancock, but Hancock also. I haven't seen it uh, with Peter Berg. And The Kingdom does have these scenes where there's handheld shots and all that, but the editing really kind of pulls through the the coherent narrative of a tense action situation from different points of of geography and how they're converging and things like that. So, there's a lot of that in the kingdom as well, as there is in this movie. And Colby Parker Jr. also worked on Ant-Man. So, Ant-Man having an Edgar Wright-esque flair, a touch of Edgar, a hint of Edgar Wright in it. There are some scenes that feel edited more like an Edgar Wright movie than others. So David Rosenblum was an editor on Rudy. I mean, come on, I've already... Rudy's at the top, okay? Rudy's at the top. I cry every time I watch Rudy. And uh, David Rosenblum also on The Peacemaker. It's a George Clooney movie about nuclear warheads, if memory serves. I think it has um, Nicole Kidman in it. I don't know. It wasn't that great. And also The Recruit with Al Pacino and Colin Farrell. I think that was the first time I had even seen Colin Farrell. A tense action movie that was mostly walking and talking, if memory serves, kind of spying, you know, with the, uh, you know, getting getting some kind of fucking action going with just normal shit, you know, that comes in the editing. Susan Rash's only credit is editor on Friday Night Lights. I don't know if she does kind of more behind the scenes stuff and doesn't necessarily do it for credit, but maybe just punch punch ups or whatever the case, what have you. All of these Hollywoodisms, these. Uh, inside jobs these inside people but kind of together peterberg uh tobias Schlesler and this uh crew of editors they have created a movie that maybe tony scott would be like this camera moves too much man because the camera fucking moves incessantly during the football scenes it is incessant and sometimes nauseating and Even in the non-football scene, sometimes the camera is just fucking moving and the establishing shots are like, I'm going to move the camera in an establishing shot sometimes. And there's these quick cuts and I'm not one to get motion sick. But bro, like, come on. I was, I, I think I started feeling motion sick at one point. And you know what? Maybe that crazy and unpredictable motion is really an appropriate representation of what it's like to be a 17-year-old, like, star football player for for a team that could win state and in a town that is always up your ass, really, like, just in your shit. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it takes to communicate what these kids were actually going through. Because it was, I felt like, I felt like it was so, so much, like it was overwhelming. And maybe that's what they felt about the season and all that. And once their season finishes, which fucking spoilers, they don't win the States. The camera doesn't move as much. And I think that they've come to to be centered, to be outside of this weird fucking tidal wave of just life and shit, you know? So I thought that was an interesting and artistic choice, and I, I think that everybody here really played a part because even though the camera does not fucking stop moving, things still make sense. You can still see the movie. The movie still happens. The football scenes still happen, and boy, boy howdy, there was a lot of football, and we'll talk about the football a little bit too. That's in the second unit stuff, but you want know, us talk about second unit now. Let's talk about second unit. Alan Graf went out and recruited some, you know, local football players, college or, or or minor league kind of football players, and they just shot football stuff for fucking ever. Is probably what it felt like. But there was a there was a lot of local people in the movie, and this kind of dovetails into to the casting and the casting directors, right? So, the casting directors, plural, because they work as a pair, are Janet Hirshenson and Jane Jenkins. You may not know their names, but I can motherfucking guarantee you, motherfucking guarantee you, that you've seen one of their movies and you are very familiar with a bunch of stars that they have essentially discovered. I'm going to rattle off some credits, not even all of them, just some. Uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, they discovered the fucking Harry Potter kids. Holy shit. Home Alone. Fucking Macaulay Culkin. When Harry Met Sally. Fucking amazing. Clue. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The Princess Bride. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Beetlejuice. A Few Good Men. Last Action Hero. I fucking love Last Action Hero. The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Apollo 13, Space Jam, Mystic Pizza, Mrs. Doubtfire, A Beautiful Mind, Frost Nixon. Do they have a podcast? Is there a fucking podcast about all these movies? Because I will sign up for that shit right now. I don't think they have a podcast. But they do have a book. They have a book that I bought. The book is called A Star is Found. And there's a lot to it. It's a long-ass book. But kind of the thesis of their process is... And I guess I'll quote it. I think this is an actual quote. The essence of a good casting decision is that you simply take it for granted. Only when you imagine a cast being different do you realize how great an impact a casting choice can have. So there's like a a, a kind of a magic to it. And they also included the the, Stanislavski quote. There is no small parts, only small actors their sole function, their only job, is to understand a movie and to try to find the correct person for it. So, the casting does a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. They'd worked with Billy Bob before, and Lucas Black, I believe. I, I believe they casted Sling Blade. sling blade I gotta get that Um, on that word. And they really had a lot to say about many of their actors, you know? So I will, I will talk about some actors and some characters now, and I'll start with one Billy Bob Thornton, William Robert Thornton. Okay. Who plays coach Gary Gaines, Gary Gaines. And my fucking phone keeps thinking I'm talking to it. I am not like you are just fucking dumb. You're a dumb phone. It's not a smartphone. That is a dumb phone. Gary Gaines. Coach Gary Gaines. That's not the name of the company that would trigger the voice activation prompt. So uh, I'm going to meld this because they do talk about Billy Bob in the book as well. However, I had my own notes on Billy Bob's performance. So I think I'll kind of give you both. I'll give you mine. I'll give you theirs. Mine, Perfectly understated performance. I thought that his performance was perfectly understated. He's not big. He's not huge. Not a whole lot of lines sometimes. Sometimes it's just the face. Sometimes it's just the eyes. It's eye acting. Coach doesn't necessarily say anything when something important happens, but he does have a look. He does have a face. Okay. Billy Bob had history of sports. He's from the southern area. He can he can play Texas for you. Very low key. Uh, I believe they say it's a laid back yet intense acting style is what they say, and that's that's it. That's it right there. That he fucking nailed it. Billy Bob fucking kills in this movie. Yeah, I don't know Billy Bob as a guy. I don't know if he's fucking sucks or he's cool or what. But fucking. He kills it in this movie. He destroys in this movie. So, yeah. And <laughs> Coach Gaines is a really interesting character, too. Because Coach Gaines, through the performance of Billy Bob, how I read it, right? Because there is a lot to be read. You know, with his lack of, of reaction dialogue, I was really able to kind of insert what insert insert what i thought that he was feeling based on on his performance based on his face based on his physical i'm like he thinks x y or z but it it could have also been a little bit of a a half-life effect where gordon freeman is the silent protagonist and i'm better able to project myself onto him the movie became more personal in that and the character more personal in that way and you know you're getting old when you identify with the coach more than with the players. So I'm just getting fucking old team. I'm an old dude. I'm a fucking geezer. But he does, he has, oh, he spits some wisdom in and, uh, yeah, there's a, there's the locker room speech. And, um, there, there's a lot. I mean, the thing about curse is that he says to, to Winchell, you know, he says, um, uh, "Our curses are the ones that are self-imposed." You know what I'm saying? We, all of us, dig our own holes, and that'll come back. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you if you really want to put it into perspective, at the end of the first game, Booby's hurt. Booby's a star player. We'll talk about Booby. Booby's hurt, and he knows it's bad, or he believes it's bad, or he thinks it's bad, but It's not good. And he knows he fucked up. And at the end of the game, he is smiling and he is putting it on. He's like, feel good about yourselves. Go out and celebrate. Big smile, 100 watt smile, 500 watt smile, whatever a big number of watt, a high wattage smile. And then he turns around and as he's walking, I guess, back to his office through the locker room, you see that smile come off his face. And he is just dead serious at that point maybe in a little, negative, a little upset. You know, he says, um, he also says to, to win says, uh, you know, I, and I'm going to fucking paraphrase here cause I don't have the exact quote, but to him winning and losing is very similar. And, uh, he struggles, you know, through it every time, like winning or losing for him isn't terribly different. He says, what's different is how others on the outside treat you. Um, but it's never a rest for a coach. It's never a rest for Coach Gaines. Coach Gaines is always working through that game, the next game, the, the two games before, the last year when we played that team, and all those things. That doesn't change for him, win or lose, kind of thing. So he's a bit of a no-nonsense guy, but he's also... He's cold? He's not cold. He is not cold. He's not unfeeling. He does have feelings. He believes in these kids. He tries to help these kids, but at the same time, he's pulled in other directions. He needs to win. Okay, so perfect example. Booby comes back. He He's like, I'm ready, coach. They said there's no tear. And he's like, there's no tear? That's what they said? And he's like, absolutely not. And he looks at Booby's uncle, Elvie. He's like, Elvie? You know, and Elvie's like, yeah, must stand beside it, a hundred percent. Yeah, look on Coach's face. You know that he knows that that's bullshit, and you know that he knows that LV. He's like LV. I'm judging you, but he's also hopeful that Booby will be all right. Hopeful that Booby will come back because he knows that he's in a hole at that point. So, it's really. There's a lot going on all at once. The subtext is all of it. And the the performance of Billy Bob as Coach Gaines really brings that out. I thought, I felt, I believe, you know. Lucas Black is Mike Winchell. Lucas Black, one of my favorite parts of Tokyo Drift. what What's up with that accent? He's from Arkansas, so he doesn't have a nice accent. But he makes it, uh, well, he fits into Texas, I guess, because everybody just, it's not a Texas accent, it's an Arkansas accent, so it's further east. But Mike Winchell has an ailing mother, and he's trying to figure out how to stay with her, but he also wants to leave. He also wants to go play football. He wants to get the fuck out of Odessa. Odessa team. Odessa kind of sucks. And it is reinforced that Odessa lives in the past. Odessa lives in the past, and it looks for new glory, repeats of past achievements from these kids in the most fucking toxic of ways. It is gross. It is disgusting. And I think he feels it. He's like, you you know, I don't feel 17 kind of thing. You feel 17? That kind of thing that he has with uh, Billingsley. Billingsley's like, I don't feel 17. It is challenging it is very challenging for him and he's got a complicated situation his dad is seems gone you know and and he gets on a phone call with a sibling and you know he's reaching out to his sibling. siblings like you know football's hard uh football's starting and, and it's getting hard he's taking care of his mom by himself basically is what we see and uh his sibling just was like no nah, figure it out nerd you know his mom you know his mom's not right, quote-unquote. It seems like she could have some kind of psychological issues, but she seems like she's all there. She's just really into football. It seems like that's her psychological issue. I don't know that for a fact. I'm sure that if you read the book, you will get more details. However, he just has to take care of his mom. He's, you know, a kid. And the whole fucking world is kind of putting it on his shoulders a bit, especially after Booby gets hurt. You know, there's a a fucking halfback, a fullback. I don't fucking know. But Don Billingsley is another character. Not that Don is so interesting, the character himself, but more his relationship with his father, Charlie Billingsley. Don Billingsley, played by Garrett Headland, and Charlie Billingsley, played by Tim McGraw, who um, Janet and Jane had met Tim McGraw during another movie, a previous movie. I forgot which one, but they kept him in mind. They brought in Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw's a bit of an athlete. So he kind of, and and had some issues with his dad and stuff like that. So he kind of fell into this role of this ex-football player, you know, they really put on Don and and him, this really toxic and abusive father-son relationship. Mom seems to be out of the picture. And, you know, Charlie, who's, who's Don's dad, he says to his son that the only good thing that ever happened to him was winning state championship playing football at Permian. And when you say that to your son, what are you saying? You know? And there's a whole speech that kind of comes with it. But it's really telling. In the the Winchell Gaines curse speech where, where um, Coach Gaines says, you know, we all dig our own holes, right? It's, it's inner cut. So let me rewind that. So Mike Winchell is like, uh, Coach Gaines, you you ever think that we're cursed? You know, kind of like that kind of thing. Like no matter what we do, even when we're winning, we're going to lose. There's a whole conversation there. Starts out with Winchell, goes to Coach Gaines. This is leaving a football game. I think Coach Gaines is giving Winchell a ride home. Billingsley is driving his drunk dad home and his dad's kicking out windows in the back of the fucking car as the speech is going on, that's kind of intercut. And then he takes the state championship ring, the only fucking possession that he gives a shit about. And he throws it out the window. And as this kind of speech is going on that that Coach Gaines is giving, or this reply, I guess, this very long, verbose reply that Coach Gaines is giving to Mike Winchell, it's juxtaposed. It's intercut. Don is searching for this ring this prized possession that his drunk father has thrown out because he's so mad because his son can't play football good and I felt initially I was like is this saying that Don is digging his own holes is that that he's allowing himself to be abused because that seems like a very unrealistic and uh, really indefensible position to it but I don't think it's that right you know, there's there when we talk about digging our own holes, we talk about, like, there's a concept that we need to take some action, make the change or whatever to escape it. We need to stop digging our own hole, climb out of it, all of that. And it's not necessarily reasonable to say that a child needs to stop his parent from abusing him. I don't think that it's meant for Don when we're intercutting that. I think it's meant for Charlie. That's why that's intercut there. Right when... Coach Gaines says, "We, all of us, dig our own holes." We're not looking at Coach Gaines, right? It's like a, it's a, you know, he's he's doing voiceover essentially on the scene, and Charlie Billingsley is collapsing drunk on the hood of his car, pulled over on the side of the road, while his son is just fucking freaking out that his dad threw the ring out the window. I don't think it was Don digging his own holes. I think it was the father. I think it was Charlie who has dug his own hole. Who has stated that the only good thing to ever happen to him was winning state at Permian. Fuck that, man. Fuck that bullshit. Fuck that noise. You know, but there are people like that out in the world. And the fixation that the town has on this football team, the fetishization, can't say that word, that they put on their high school football team winning is really... Personified by Charlie Billingsley essentially kicking the crap out of his, his son, you know, and 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 berating him in public and forcefully. Anyway, we have uh Jay Hernandez playing Chavez. I don't know Chavez's first name, I'm not gonna look it up, but uh he's coming off a of crazy beautiful, so this felt like a small part for him, but he played it cool, and Chavez is a really interesting character, Chavez is a linebacker. And he always seemed to, to be positive and to have more perspective. He's like, like, listen, bro, it's just football. Don't worry about it. For him, it was just football. And the, the movie takes the time to explain to us that Chavez is always positive because Chavez has great grades and he has fucking scholarships and he has options and prospects and opportunities and things that he can go somewhere and be somebody. And he did, he, he went to Harvard, I believe. Uh, I'm, I'm again, not going to check that, but if you want to go to the Wikipedia page or I think it's an IMDB in the trivia, you see the saga of Chavez. It's, it's not great. It's not great, but check that out. If you're bored, you know, we also were finally getting to miles booby James, right? Played by Derek Luke, Derek Luke coming off of Antoine Fisher, uh, a a very I, b- I believe they called it sparkle that personality sparkle uh and also he, you may be like oh these people look like they're 30. Listen I saw a picture of, of fucking Booby Miles or <laughs> and Booby looked like he was 30 in high school. Like that's the difference. Like Derek Luke looks younger than what Booby looked. Booby had like facial hair and everything. And um boy he he he. He brought the arrogant athlete to the movie. He was it. He embodied it. Oh, the fucking air conditioner. Okay, I'm just going to roll with the air conditioner on. Fuck it. I just, I can't right now. But, you know, let's, let's talk about Odessa for a minute. Let's talk about Odessa a little more. Because... Odessa is a character, right? Location is a character. But the location is a character in the way that it, not through one person, but through the people, interact with our main characters. So I think I talked that it's somewhat fictionalized, dramatized. They've really got nothing going on. And there are, how shall I put this, racial divisions, perhaps? But there's also economic divisions, in this town. In this area, really, of Texas, I guess, would be the the best way to put it. So when they're picking the referee crew, when they're going to the championship game in the Astrodome, like the fucking Bad News Bears. I think it's Bad News Bears Part 2 they, they play in the Astrodome, which was fucking mind-blowing to me as a child. I used to rent that shit at Blockbuster all the time. I fucking love those movies. They There is some contention as to what race the referee crew would be they end up going with a biracial crew. I think the implication there is that the, the Dallas team was more black than the Permian team. Or the area was more black. So there's a whole thing where there's a back and forth. And they have to get like a neutral ground of the fucking Astrodome. Which insane to me that you can just be like, yeah, hey, we're just going to play at the Astrodome. That's fucking nuts. You know, but we see in that final game that the black referee still calls a bad reception. Uh, we don't know if it's his point of view. I don't know where he was necessarily on the field. I think he was on the sideline. But we, the viewers, know it bounced. Like, we know a thousand percent. We know that that fucking ball bounced. So we had this setup about the race of the crew and how they might, that might play into the game. And then we get a situation that is never resolved as to whether or not that came into play. It's really interesting. I don't it it definitely changed the game, but this is also a fictionalized game. Team, this game in question never happened. This one was made up for the movie because the normal path of the season took a different course. Same kind of same kind of vibe though, just bear with me. Same kind of vibe. This is that dramatization thing again. You know, so that's set up for us. But there's also uh, economic div- div- divisions. Like um, when Coach Gaines is at is at the dinner party where he's making eyes at his wife, who is uh, again Connie Britton, who's adorable. There's the they're at a dinner party with some wealthy folks. This one, uh, everybody's fucking telling the coach had to coach already, and he's super chill about it. But it got on my nerves. This one lady drops a fucking. N word without pause, without consideration, without thought, like did not fucking matter and a little bit because we don't really see like rich kids on the team, but a little bit I think that that the 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 portrayal there was that the the wealthy folks really thought that the entire team coach included. Was pawns for them. To kind of move around on their board. And see if they win the game. Kind of deal. And there's a lot of shit like that. That goes on. I mean. Like a lot. Coach Gaines getting stalked. At the fucking supermarket basically. And kind of getting threatened. You know. That wasn't cool. By the wealthy people. By the rich people. You know. It um. It's a weird thing. They're showing up at his office. Whenever the fuck they want. It's it's very unusual it's very unusual and i think that it kind of factors into the movie because we look at the white players and the black players and that doesn't that behavior doesn't happen with them they are brothers really in in this game you know they're brothers and that is it's something. I don't know if it fixed racism. I don't know if it's beautiful. I don't know what it is. But it, it's something. They're not like those other pieces of shit. So I think that that's, that's definitely Odessa. As a character, Odessa stalking, Odessa just criticizing, Odessa threatening, Odessa cajoling, Odessa always watching, always judging... Odessa cursing you out Monday morning, or, or, well, I mean, I guess Monday morning because high school usually plays Friday, hence Friday night lights. So Saturday morning on the radio. Saturday morning on the radio. Whatever the case is, that's Odessa, right? That is the shitty post oil fucking community that is portrayed in the movie. I don't know what Odessa's like, IRL. I've never been there. That's the impression that I've got as the Odessa, the character in the movie. Again, a drama, okay? Dramatized, okay? Liberties. But I think that um, there's another really important part of this movie. It's not just the documentary style that it was made. It was made off a journalistic, nonfiction book. But the, the documentary style gives it that feeling of realism. When we follow the kids around, it's never glamorous. The football isn't terribly glamorous. They're getting their asses kicked nine times out of ten. They're bleeding. They're on the floor. They're like, ugh. It makes it feel real. I want to talk about the music. I think that the music is something of this movie that really made it stand apart. And I think that what made it stand apart was the boldness of some of the musical choices. And I will not start with those. I will start with The Needle Drops. And if you're not familiar with a needle drop, a needle drop in a movie is like playing a popular song as part of the soundtrack. There's diegetic, which is it's in the movie, and there's non-diegetic, which is it is part of the movie just for us, the viewers, and there's a lot to it. Patrick H. Willems has like an hour-long video on needle drops. I recommend it. If I remember, I will put that in the links. But it's a fun video. Lots of good needle drops. No, he did not get them all. Yes, your favorite one is probably not there because there are so many, but it's okay. The first one that jumped out to me, honestly, was ZZ Top's Just Got Paid off of Rio Grande Mud, 1972. You know the... That is... That fucking song slaps. I fucking love that song. You know? Just got paid today. No, I can't do... um, Hmm. I can't do a Billy Gibbons. I don't think, or at least not that, not 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 the screamy Billy Gibbons. I can do like the 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 Lagrange Billy Gibbons. <laughs> how 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 how? You know, I can do that Billy Gibbons. They got a lot of nice girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I like ZZ Top. I, I, I went through a phase like there was like two months where oh I only listened to Z Z Top as they are known in the UK, and Canada, and Australia, I guess, and New Zealand, I would assume, and South Africa potentially, ZZ Top. And the, the ZZ Top doesn't get a lot of movie play, I think it's very Texas, they are, that little band from Texas, that is their tagline, if you will. Billy Gibbons, just a, a, a wonderful guitar player, interesting vocalist. You know, they're they're an iconic band, a, a band that is their own character. So very unique, don't fit into many movies, very Texas, very Southern, blues, blues rock kind of thing. There are four Public Enemy songs, I believe. Am I counting this right? I'm, I'm counting, yeah, four. Okay, so there's Bring the Noise, awesome. Terminator X to the Edge of Panic, Welcome to the Terror Dome, when they're in the Astrodome, which is fucking awesome. And um, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. There's kind of good representation here. Like, it's maybe what the kids would be listening to at the time. That kind of thing. There's a, a fucking Poison song in there. Fuck them. And there's some other stuff, too. There's also Run DMC. It's tricky. There's um, Got My Mojo Working, performed by Jimmy Smith. And, you know, hey, it's that whole Mojo football thing. Moward Johnson, you know, or whatever the case is. And uh, overall, you know, you could say it's a a somewhat eclectic, somewhat eclectic arrangement of popular music, some not so popular music, which I haven't talked about yet, and some pieces that were maybe original to the movie. And again, uh, show notes important. There will be images, links, and just random shit in there. If you don't get rich text in your fucking podcatcher in the app that you use and you don't get the link. To the show page on my website. You can go to Bags S-C-U-M-M-B-A-G-S. To check that out. There. Okay. And you can click on Mark's Movie Collection. And kind of go through the episodes. And see all the rich show notes. Some of the show notes are longer than the show. Maybe. Potentially. I don't know. Sometimes they're a joke in and of themselves. Other times they're not. Depends on how much time I have. How, how I feel that day. But the music by credit that I am dancing around that I'm going to get into presently also worked on the Friday Night Lights TV show and also worked on Lone Survivor with Peter Berg as well. And this music by credit is Explosions in the Sky. Now, Explosions in the Sky is perhaps genre-defining in the the public eye, because if you get like a for-real music nerd they like, no, talk, talk was the defining you know moment for post-rock. And there was shoegaze and all these things and all that. But post-rock as we know it, what some people may deridingly call crescendo core. And they're like, I'm so sick of crescendo core. Somebody says that to you, they just might very well be an asshole. There's a 78% chance that they're an asshole. And if you take in some other factors, it's almost like evidence, right? Where it's like, okay, this is a type A blood, but in combination with this kind of hair and, you know, all that stuff, that I adds up to a person, right? Saying that Crescendo Core sucks is adding up to an asshole pretty significantly. There are two Explosions in the Sky albums that feature prominently. And I think it is in entirety the earth is not a cold dead place which which i own the the track names are you know track 1 is first breath after coma track 2 is the only moment that we were alone track 3 is 6 days at the bottom of the ocean track 4 is memorial and track 5 is your hand in mine and I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about this album. I don't know what it is about these song names. There is. Such an emotional response in me. I don't know if that makes sense. So I. I saw explosions in the sky live. With one of my best friends. And I, and my wife now. Who was I guess. Yeah at the time my, my, my girlfriend. And um this was june 20th 2012 at grand central at grand central at grand central in miami which doesn't exist anymore the venue as far as i know does not exist and it was an experience it was it was such a wonderful experience it was almost transcendent i was far as fuck i the the place was big a lot of people were there um Big in my mind, I because I just I, I'd only gone there for this concert. I'd never been there before, and just the the size, the span, the the breadth of sound coming from this band, from the, their music, how it filled the space. I guess is the best way to put it. I think that this was a very very bold choice for a football movie. You know, additionally, they had uh, a couple songs from Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Die, Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Live Forever, which is their second album. Those songs are A Poor Man's Memory, and With Tired Eyes, Tired Minds, Tired Souls, We Slept. And again, just the emotional weight of these things. They are longing you know the they are are sad in a way, not always. sometimes it is a little bit the hope of that what's to come is better, but in that you inherently acknowledge what's happening now, and you know it's not a football movie, music it it isn't it's post rock, it is instrumental, it is seven, ten minutes long, whatever the fuck. there's no words, basically. And there's no chorus, nothing like that. It's, it kind of goes through movements and there's arrangements and, and motifs, sure. But you know, sometimes these songs are are juxtaposed with very action-packed football scenes where it could feel like the game is washing over you like this music is, like the sound is the understanding of the emotional weight. For someone who is 17 years old, being a football player, being a star, at the center of all this, at the, the weight of an entire challenge just bearing down on them. How alone they may feel. How, how alone. You know, I, I loved these, these records, independent of the movie. And I had I, known of the association, but I really didn't pay it any mind. I don't know what it was that made me, I guess, going through, you know, the box, what I call the box. I was like, I haven't really done, I haven't really done a football movie, and I've heard about this one. And I know that a lot of people really enjoyed the show, but. I hadn't, I'd had never seen it. I'd never seen the show. I'd never seen it. I was like, yeah, Explosions in the Sky did the music. I'll, I'll fucking watch that. And man, let me tell you, it, it crushed me at some points. It fucking crushed me. Like I didn't break down crying. It wasn't Rudy, but I felt it, you know? I felt it. And I, I think that, that these kids felt it too, they felt it viscerally, they felt it physically, they felt it emotionally. And I think ultimately that's the aim of the story of the 1988 Permian Panthers. Not that their aim was, was that, their aim was to win. But the aim of telling that story, whether in book format or in movie format, liberties taken to, to further that message. yeah i um I mean I think that's it. I know that this one's been a little bit of a mess. I'm out of practice, but it's just it's it's been wild and um it's been really wild, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it team so you know, as always, you can catch me on Twitter at cool mark d cool with a c and mark with a k i'd love your feedback on friday night lights if you've seen it if you haven't seen it hey whatevs yeah i don't know if i'm just getting older and i'm more aware of the things but it just seems like bad things are happening everywhere be nice to people try to help out if you can you know wear a mask wear two masks now apparently black lives still matter i didn't forget You know, I'll I'll leave you two things. Two things from this movie, sort of, Um, tangential to this movie. Two things on the the vinyl version of the Earth is not a cold, dead place. It features etchings of birds on side D, accompanied by the phrase. And I'm reading this verbatim from Wikipedia. I'm going to check it now in a second. But just, I'm I'm worried that maybe I have like a repro and it doesn't have this. So. But I haven't seen this. I don't remember seeing this. It says, The earth is not a cold, dead place. Because you are breathing. Because you are listening. And um, I, t- I take its heart. I take its heart. And, um... Cal Chandler's character in... Okay, so... Billy Bob in Improvised. A big halftime locker room speech in the championship game and he improvised that based on events that happened really in his life and it's a wonderful speech it is moving it is not necessarily Hollywood screenplay perfect but I think it did better than whatever they had written in there part of it is performance but a huge part of it is how true it rings how human And this inspired a saying in the show, uh, which Kyle Chandler's character, whose name I have no idea what it may be, says, uh, every, every game says, uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I'll see you. So, hey, welcome to uh, the first after the podcast in the podcast. It's kind of like HBO, stay tuned for inside the episode. But this isn't inside the episode. I think I'm pretty transparent with the production. This is after the podcast. This is after I recorded everything. After I recorded everything, and I know a thousand percent because I've listened to it once... Like, not corrected. I just just did one one listen. I know that some stuff is bad. I know that there's problems with the gate that I hope to fix. And I know that I left some stuff dangling from the intro. I don't know that I'm going to get into it, however, because I forgot what that stuff is. But, but I did ask my dad what he thought of Friday Night Lights, the movie. I was surprised to hear... That my dad saw Friday Night Lights. Genuinely. It it makes sense. But he's not a movie guy. He's not a movie guy. He's a sports guy, for sure. Not, a, not so much a movie guy. But it is a sports movie. So it makes sense. And it'll make a little more sense in a second. Fun thing that you should know about me. My family spent some time in Dallas, in Texas. So this one hits a little closer to home because of that connection i i I feel it and you know my dad my dad's pretty funny he's like man billy bob billy Bob's the best when i i talked about his performance he's like yeah he's the best he did so good you know and uh he totally vibed with me on the fact that like billy bob wasn't saying so much but you we were able to inject our our thoughts onto him or project i should say because inject is a little it's a little aggressive we were able to project our thoughts onto them. And I say inject because it's a, it's on my mind, but my parents have vaccine appointments tomorrow. So I'm I'm happy about that. As I sit here sipping my Manhattan, right? Delicious. Yeah, I made myself a fucking Manhattan. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's a bit strong. That's uh that's how I make drinks. So We talked a little bit about it and it was really interesting, but he, he kind of gave me the real deal on, on Odessa Midland a bit and on Texas football, Texas high school football, because we were, we, we actually lived in the area at the time. So it was a big deal. And he remembers the 89 season when Odessa Permian is is how he put it. Odessa Permian made it all the way. And he mentions Skip Bayless, which Skip Bayless is like the Dan Lebitard of Texas. It, it comes through that o- Odessa Midland was big on oil, big on oil. Texas, West Texas, especially was so big on oil that the measure of oil when there was a, a, a prospect, an oil prospect, they would measure it in Texas crude, right? Texas somehow created the, the unit of measure for American oil in a, in a certain way. That didn't work out for Odessa Midland. They went dry. It seems they they hit a bust. And Friday Night Lights, the movie, seems to take place in that bust. It it presents Odessa as a has been, very much so. Now, my dad, uh, you know, worked in the area, and there was a gentleman from Pilot Point. This gentleman from Pilot Point in in my dad's company was well known for being the guy from Pilot Point because Pilot Point had like a 1A, like the 1A, like badass school, Pilot Point, Texas. And to put this into perspective, this was in 1988 ish, right around the time of Friday Night Lights being set. As of the 2010 census, Pilot Point has 3,856 residents. Homie, that is a small town. That is a small town, homie. That is a very, very small town. And for someone to be known as being from that small town because of college football is almost unbelievable. I we've seen that phenomenon in where I live there are certain schools that are known for certain things there are there's a small private school that is a, a baseball school if you will and they've gone to states and things like that they are a baseball school because baseball's big in Florida for sure especially south Florida so football's big in Texas and pilot point is the big deal And this guy was from Pilot Point. He wasn't in Pilot Point. The company wasn't even in Pilot Point. The company's in fucking Dallas. And people were like, hey, Pilot Point. And in meetings, they're talking about fucking Pilot Point football. And the the town at the time, my dad estimates, it was like 1,800 people or something. You know, Denton was a very... um, Denton County and and Pilot Point. And even Denton itself isn't very huge. It's it's 140,000 now. But... Yeah, football was exactly that big in Texas. Like, the the movie is not exaggerating, is kind of what my dad said. He said that the movie was the microcosm of football in Texas. That's what he said to me. And I had already done recorded, been recorded, where I mentioned that Charlie and Don's relationship was a microcosm of the town's relationship with these kids, with these football kids, you know, these children. These miners, these legal miners.